Chapter One, Part Two of Women of the French Revolution by Winifred Stevens. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part Two of Women Agitators. Whether or no the knitting needles were so busy, whether or no they were plied in the gallery of the Jacobin Club and even round the guillotine, as romantic historians try to make out, the term tricoteuse had come to stay. Henceforth, les bonnes citoyennes were known as the knitters not many names of individual women who took part in the procession have come down to us we have already mentioned louison chabry who led the deputation to the king very little is known about her even her christian name is doubtful was it louise or louison madeleine or marguerite at any rate at the time of the procession she seems to have been living in the rue richelieu and later she was lodging with her father in a wine merchant's house in st catherine's market she was evidently a kind-hearted girl for on the eve of starting for versailles she had given twelve francs all but four sous to the prisoners in the hotel de ville for the purchase of shirts and shoes she gave evidence at an inquiry into the doings of the fifth and sixth of october made by le chatelet law court at the instance of the court party at the chatelet louison like other witnesses as we shall see appeared by no means proud of the part she had played in the affair and protested that she had been forced to join the procession against her will later however she seems to have changed her opinion and our last sight of her is collecting the offertory at a te deum in honour of the versailles insurrection in the church of les petits pères at which were present la princesse de lamballe the duke of chartres and the duke of pontievre with chabry on her deputation are said to have been marie nomerie rose barry a lace-maker anne forêt a shop-girl françoise robin and three other women described as les dames babet leclerc and laviot robin not chabry had originally been appointed to lead the petitioners but as on the arm of mounier president of the assembly robin was being escorted to the palace a swiss guard kicked her so brutally that her injuries prevented her joining the deputation until later the two women who more than any others have been associated with the doings of those october days are tirouane de mericourt and rené the former was one of the most impressive and in the end as we shall see one of the most tragic figures of the revolution legends have clustered thick round her life story lamartine michelet the de goncourts and carlyle relate many of them as sober fact even those who like ten ignore the myth of brown-locked demoiselle tirouagne seated on a cannon leading the procession to versailles assert that she distributed money among the troops on the square hoping thus to bribe them to join the revolution poets from barthélemy to baudelaire have celebrated tirouagne as the leader of the procession erect on a cannon as on a shield she inflamed the ranks with her gestures and her voice sang barthélemy lance in her hand hair dishevelled she marched to danger like penthesilea baudelaire in his sonnet cecina asked avez-vous vu tirouagne amante du carnage excitant à l'assaut un peuple sans souliers la joue et l'oeil en feu jouant son personnage et montant sabre au point les royaux escaliers of all these picturesque myths tirouagne's latest biographer m leopold lacour who derives his story from tirouagne's own confessions makes short work as one reads his closely reasoned argument one begins to wonder whether he will allow tirouagne to have been at versailles at all or even whether he will leave us anything of our martial heroine to believe in let us now see how much of her remains in lacour's narrative anne joseph du terroigne 
commonly known by the name of tirouagne which was her usual signature was born in seventeen sixty nine at marcourt not miricourt a village on the luxembourg and belgian frontier not very far from liege her father was a well-to-do peasant farmer her mother died when she was five after her father's second marriage tirouagne and two brothers were left to the care of their stepmother whose unkindness drove them from home to take refuge with relatives but here apparently they fared no better so tirouagne leaving her family seems to have gone into service at limburge where she was employed in keeping cows then she suddenly became nursery governess or companion at liege hence revolution records refer to her as la belle liegeoise for this strange promotion we suspect tirouagne's good looks to have been partially accountable although no authentic portrait of her exists save one that was made towards the end of her life when she was ill and had lost all her attractiveness there are numerous detailed descriptions of her appearance which show that though not strictly beautiful she was very pretty small mignonne and piquante the dignity of her carriage made her appear almost tall at any rate above the average height said one who saw her her eyes were dark and flashing her hair chestnut and she possessed one of those retroussé noses which changed the fate of empires these governess days of tirouagne are full of mystery from liege she would appear to have gone to antwerp and thence to england how why and with whom is doubtful but it is thought that in england she became the mistress of a wealthy english youth who promised to marry her other stories of her life in england that she became the mistress of the prince of wales and was introduced by him to the duke of orleans seem to be doubtful these rumours have been recently used to bolster up the theory that tirouagne was involved in the so-called orleanist plot to replace louis the sixteenth by his orleanist cousin tirouagne when arrested for taking part in that october procession which some consider to have been part of this plot of course took care to deny any acquaintance with the duke her denial may or may not have been true tirouagne gave her own version of the english episode in her story this she told to her people at marcourt after she had left england and returned home with a considerable fortune she said she had married in england a rich englishman of whom she was then the widow relying on her relative's ignorance of english the crafty tirouagne appears to have produced certain documents signed tirouagne spinster and to have told her family that spinster was the name of her late husband french biographers as ignorant of our language as the terroirs have conducted endless researches with the object of identifying this english spinster whom they suppose to have been the father of the child alleged by terroir to have been born to her in england and said to have died in infancy more reliable than terroir's own story are the numerous records which show that somewhere about seventeen eighty seven terroir was in paris and that there she was receiving the addresses of an elderly french nobleman armand nicolas doublet marquis de Persan, who settled upon her for life an annual income of five thousand francs he was soon to regret his generosity for tirouagne who possessed a fine voice which had been trained probably in england declared her intention of devoting her life to music and went off to genoa with a famous italian singer tenducci her contract with tenducci is extant here again she signs tirouagne spinster it seems likely that tirouagne had financial resources other than and in addition to persan's allowance this she continued to receive and to apply for sometimes in advance in letters to the parisian banker perigot which still in existence form one of the most reliable sources of her biography as pawn-shop records show she possessed a great store of valuable jewels and plate 
gifts no doubt from mr spinster and from other less hypothetical lovers Tirouang returned from genoa in the summer of seventeen eighty nine she came back a very different woman from the gay courtesan who had set forth with the italian tenor from the brilliant comtesse de campinados as she had called herself in days when she was to be seen glittering with jewels in her box at the paris opera now her life as a courtesan was over she had paid the price of her calling for in italy she had contracted the malady that ultimately was to lead her to the hospital of salpetriere her beauty was on the wane her italian lover had spent the greater part of her money her vivacity intelligence and charm however remained for a while longer and tirouang proceeded to make the best of them unable to continue her old calling she turned politician and tried with considerable success to pose as une femme savante she sought for and made acquaintance with scientists like rome politicians like pétion and though she failed to attract the abbesses to her house she induced his brother to visit her thus as we shall see later she opened a salon and in it as we shall also see she founded a club formerly music had been her only serious concern in life politics had had no interest for her but on the morrow of her return from italy she found herself in the midst of them for she was lodging in the hotel toulouse near that palais royal or palais d'égalité as it came to be called where throughout the revolution the political cauldron was always at boiling point it was here if we may trust terroing's own confession that she first became interested in the people already the revolution seemed to her to have changed men's hearts to have banished egoism and obliterated class distinctions as she looked down on the poissard haranguing the passers-by even the most ragged seemed to have a heroic air here in the palais royal gardens tirouang fell in love with liberty the scene that tirouang saw on the sultry days of that tropical summer of seventeen eighty nine in some mild way must have resembled our hyde park near the marble arch on a summer sunday afternoon there was the stump orator on a chair on the fateful twelfth of july when the news arrived of necker's banishment the orator was the timid stammering camille desmoulins who had been forced to mount his impromptu platform in halting though passionate accents he was summoning the people to arms in a social war the beast is in the trap he cried now we must finish him never did richer prey await victors forty thousand palaces mansions and chateaus two-fifths of the whole wealth of france will be valour's reward on the evening of that day tirouine took her first step on the political stage walking in the streets with her servant she met a group of soldiers and asked them whether they were on the side of the states-general that question very nearly hurried her into prison on the famous fourteenth when the news of the capture of the bastille was announced in the gardens tirouine saw people weeping with joy three days later the ci-devant comtesse de campinados made her first appearance in a political manifestation wearing a white riding-habit and un chapeau rond she took part in the procession which went to welcome louis the sixteenth coming from versailles to give his blessing to the revolution's first triumph the destruction of the royal prison by this time tirouine had thrown herself heart and soul into the revolution movement she was reading all the public announcements and newspapers but she found them difficult to understand so in order to be in the heart of things she went to live at versailles in la rue de noailles there she spent most of her time listening to the debates of the national assembly these also she found somewhat incomprehensible at first 
but as gradually they grew more intelligible they showed her the people oppressed by the privileged classes the people with justice and right on their side on the fifth of october terroigne was at the assembly when the approach of the women's procession was announced we have already seen the story that she accompanied maillard and his draggle-tailed throng from paris to be nothing but legend no contemporary evidence corroborates carlyle's picturesque description of demoiselle terroigne brown-locked terroigne seated on a cannon the two friends of liberty in their famous history of the revolution do not include terroigne's name among those of the women processioners it was not until some months after the event that the scurrilous newspaper les actes des apotres mentioned terroigne as one of the leaders of the procession however negligent terroigne may have become later in those october days of seventeen ninety two she had far too much regard for her appearance to join her dishevelled sisters on their mud march it was much more like the coquette terroigne still was to keep herself spick and span to don an appropriate silken riding habit red this time and to caracole on a warlike steed on the place d'armes but alas even this picture of our heroine historical accuracy relentlessly bids us discard her own account of her doings on the fifth and sixth of october was that on the procession's arrival at versailles she went out of the assembly hall to see what was happening and then having satisfied her curiosity retired to her home for the night taking with her a few miserable women to whom she gave bread on the following day so she said having gone to the assembly hall and found the doors closed she mingled for a while with the crowds on the square then when the hall was opened returned there and listened to the debates for the rest of the morning this story may or may not be true we must remember that when terroigne told it she was eager to clear herself from the charge of having led the procession or at any rate played one of the principal parts in it a charge which was being brought against her by the chatelet law court during the inquiry into the events of the fifth and sixth of october to which we have already referred this inquiry opened on the eleventh of december seventeen eighty nine and continued until the twenty ninth of july seventeen ninety there seems little doubt that it was instituted by the enemies of the duke of orleans and mirabeau and with the design of proving them to have been the instigators of the insurrection during the first six months the evidence of some four hundred witnesses was taken among them were the king's aunt madame adelaide his brother the comte de provence and even the queen herself marie antoinette is said to have refused to incriminate any of her husband's subjects her evidence was therefore entirely uncompromising i saw everything i heard everything i have forgotten everything she is reported to have declared out of the four hundred witnesses only three said they had seen terroigne actively engaging in the insurrection and even these three were vague one had been told by a lady whose name he had forgotten that she had seen among the brigands who had come from paris to versailles a lady une dame whom she thought to be Tirouen de Montassur, dressed as a man with a tall nobleman dressed as a woman the second witness a priest said that on the evening of the fifth when the flanders regiment was in the avenue de versailles a lady some say several wearing a long red coat at least as far as could be seen in the darkness was going up and down the ranks in her hand a basket from which the soldiers were taking little packets yet another priest this one a student in theology of the sorbonne declared that on the night of the fifth being at the window of the hotel flamarant rue de l'orangerie he saw arriving several women and men disguised as women one of the former he noticed particularly she was in a scarlet riding habit and on horseback 
a jockey also in scarlet followed her the witness was told she was mademoiselle Thirouenne de mericourt whom he had previously seen at the assembly and whom he recognized later she went up to the sentinel stationed at the orangery gate which the sentinel who wore the uniform of the versailles militia immediately closed every one said the witness believed it to have been closed by order of mademoiselle Thirouenne. it was on such slender evidence that the chatelet law court on the fourth of august seventeen ninety issued a warrant for Thirouenne's arrest but by that time she was outside the court's jurisdiction whether it was for that express purpose or not that in the preceding may she had gone to her native marcourt seems uncertain at any rate she was out of france and the chatelet made no attempt to obtain her extradition whether the paris law court may not have prompted the misfortune which as we shall see later was to overtake la belle liegeoise is another matter after the first six months the chatelet inquiry had grown less vigorous the inquiry had failed in its main object to inculpate in the october insurrection d'orleans and mirabeau whose names the assembly had refused to allow the commissioners to drag into the affair thus from interminable sittings and an immense mass of evidence there resulted only one actual arrest that of a woman and one so obscure that her very name is doubtful whether her christian name was rené or reine or louise her family name le duc or Audu or ondu seems impossible to discover there is no doubt however that she was a market woman and that because of her good looks she had according to the time-honoured custom which still prevails in paris to-day been elected queen of the markets la reine des halles or la reine de hongrie as the title went then this may account for the appellation of reine or even renée there is evidence that already on the fourth of october renée in collaboration with the famous maillard with a ragged hunchback bernou and with another whom ten calls a bird of prey fournier nicknamed the american had been working to create a disturbance and to turn popular attention towards versailles rene's part was to make speeches in the palais royal gardens and to cry out in the streets that she would go to versailles and demand from the king and queen the reason why paris lacked bread rené would appear to have been one of the women at maillard's side when he first entered the assembly hall and she was apparently a member of the disorderly throng who remained behind after the more respectable processioners had returned to paris for says one of the witnesses at the chatelet trial it was la première dame des halles reine Audu, who after the bishop of langres had been compelled to put his thumbs on the table as a token of submission to their demands cried now we are pleased with you so you must kiss us the chatelet charged rené with having announced her intention of going to versailles and bringing back the queen's head on her sword with having helped to massacre the king's bodyguards and with having taken part in other disorderly scenes her cross-examination opened on the very anniversary of the day of her alleged crimes the fifth of october seventeen ninety when called to the witness-box queen Odu began by denying her presence at versailles however after the overwhelming testimony of no less than fifty witnesses who swore to having seen her there had refreshed her memory she changed her tactics and like other women whom the tribunal had interrogated louison chabris for example Audu maintained that she had been compelled to join the procession against her will as she was passing by the hotel de ville she said a band of women some of them very badly dressed had thrust a broomstick into her hand and insisted that she should go with them to demand from the king and the assembly reasons for the scarcity of food rene declared that the procession advanced in perfect order 
she carefully omitted any reference to her own conduct in the assembly hall or even to her presence there she said that with other processioners she had passed the night in the stables of monseigneur le comte d'artois and that they had slept badly being constantly roused by the beating of drums the next morning they went out into the streets and broke their fast on a bag of plums and a bottle of water given them by a soldier of the king's guard later while the mob were invading the chateau Audu confessed to having drunk something stronger than water with some gunners of her acquaintance her sweetheart was said to be a soldier perhaps he was one of these Audu did not deny that she was in the crowd that brought the king and the royal family back to paris but she resolutely refused to admit that she had been guilty of any crime whatsoever thus did this usually garrulous and bombastic person with affected modesty and restraint attempt to minimize her achievements in an all-important crisis her counsel chenot when he stood up to plead told a very different story and here we actually have an advocate giving the lie to his client chenot aware doubtless that the tribunal would desire to save its face by making at least one conviction and that it had chosen this market-woman for a scapegoat determined if he could not get his client acquitted at least to make a heroine of her whether she liked it or not in this he completely succeeded his speech adding one more legend to those already enlivening the annals of the revolution handed down this well-nigh nameless woman to posterity as a second joan of arc chenot represented his client as a noble patriotic woman inflamed with the warlike ardour of her family were not her five brothers all serving with the colours moved with pity for her country's wrongs this penthesilea resolved to right them she had assembled more than eight hundred women in the champs-elysees marshalled them in perfect order and led them by the way of sevres to versailles there outside the assembly hall she had left four hundred of her band to overawe the parliament with the rest and three cannon brought from paris she had continued her way to the chateau and accompanied by twelve of her comrades had succeeded in penetrating into the royal presence but not said chenot until she had passed through many adventures she had had to tackle the commander of the versailles national guard estang himself to advance beneath the shot and shell of his troops to be wounded in the breast and right arm to push aside or to creep under two infuriated war-horses who in some unaccountable manner had revenged themselves by kicking off rene's toenails so much suffering and so much courage had not been without its effect on king louis when ultimately Odu had reached her monarch she had found him all docility and compliance without a murmur the king had granted the poissard's request that he would subscribe to the declaration of the rights of man and reveal the whereabouts of the government's stores of corn and flour in triumph rene and her friends had left the palace but on the square fresh troubles had beset them the market queen had again been wounded this time in the left arm utterly exhausted her mutilated body had been placed on a cannon after a wakeful night on this martial couch she had been up betimes and at eight o'clock despite her wounds and orthopedic disability had dragged herself a second time to the king to persuade him to grant his people's demands and go with them to paris instead of fleeing to metz which was said to be his intention again louis was compliant he returned to paris and with him on her cannon had gone the lacerated queen of the markets with her arrival at the hotel de ville said chenot her exploits ended to such a heroine how could any tribunal refuse the martyr's crown the chatelet condemned rene to imprisonment for what period does not transpire 
straightway her fame went forth throughout the length and breadth of the land the chatelet was bombarded with petitions for the gallant prisoner's release and when on the sixth of september seventeen ninety one after eleven months of a wild agitation on her behalf Audu was finally liberated she received an ovation by that time any woman who had taken part in the versailles insurrection was considered a national heroine and among them Audu, as their leader was of course supreme parliament declared her to have deserved well of her country the town council of paris girded her with the sword of honour the jacobin club collected on her behalf three hundred fifty-seven francs five sous with which the recipient was not satisfied considering it far too trivial a sum for so distinguished a deliverer of la patrie rene clamoured but in vain for a pension for life its refusal however did not prevent her from continuing her martial efforts in the revolution cause in the attack on the tuileries on the tenth of august eighteen ninety two she was again wounded soon afterwards the victorious jacobins began to find the services of women more embarrassing than helpful two years later on the twenty seventh of july seventeen ninety four we find Audu in the prison of st pelagie for some unknown crime her release on the following fifth of september is the last we hear of her rumour relates that she died mad a critic desiring to make light of women's achievements will say that their debut in the revolution does not enhance their reputation for intelligence or show them capable of independent action he will point out that madame le gros was the victim of an impostor that the versailles processioners were the agents probably many of them the paid agents of political agitators and that even if the women of the fifth and sixth of october sincerely went to versailles to obtain food for their hungry families they failed because the loads of corn they brought back were but a temporary relief but another critic less anti-feminist might reply that women were not alone in believing latude's story that as he lectured and exhibited his ladder throughout france and england he received enthusiastic applause from masculine audiences that though economically the versailles insurrection did little politically it achieved its object it struck a fatal blow at the old absolute monarchy it brought the king out of the age-long monarchical aloofness of versailles into paris where he was among his people and more or less under their control it made him in short the king of the french instead of the king of france it was this thing that the women had done men took the bastille even there the women helped women took the king says michelet further by bringing the king into paris women had made paris the centre of the revolution and the capital of the new france in a sense in which for a hundred years and more it had never been the capital of the old End of chapter one